Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest, Cindy Haddad. She is a certified financial planner, but also also is a chartered special needs consultant, which is a really interesting combination. She's the founding partner and wealth advisor at Affinia Financial Group in Burlington, Mass. And her combination of skills comes from being both the professional sister and even an advocate for her brother, Ron, who has developmental disabilities. She's dedicated her career to serving families like her own, and we want to thank her personally for all of that. She is nationally sought after as a speaker on planning for families of individuals with disabilities and the co-author of the groundbreaking book, The Special Needs Planning Guide, and it's in its second edition. So welcome and thank you. Oh, thank you, Diana. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. I'm really thrilled to talk about, let's start with the book. What prompted you to write the book? So what prompted me to write the book, well, with my partner, John Nadworny, back in 2007, but it started much earlier than that, is that when I first started to think about what my brother's future would be like, my parents really depended upon me to, um, you know, lead the way for them and to know what they didn't know and think about all the nuances with government benefits and the legal side of things, the financial side, and how does our family work as a team together for, for Ron. And we realized very quickly that there was no information readily available or easily accessible for families like our own to you know, guide them. And when I first wanted to enter the field as a certified financial planner at the time, um, people thought, well, gee, that's kind of a crazy niche that you want to focus on because I don't know anybody that has somebody with a disability or, oh, the state takes care of those people with disabilities or, gee, um, only poor people have people with disabilities. There were so many misconceptions um, and there wasn't what my mom had always tried to pioneer for my brother Ron was that he could be a viable member of the community. He'd have a job, he'd have a life, he'd live independently with supports um, and he'd be you know, paying taxes like the rest of us. It's, to the greatest of his ability. But there was no guidebook at, at the time. So that was really what prompted me. And also many people had said, oh boy, all the work that you're doing, you guys should write a book. And so we wrote a book. We wrote every single word together, John and I, as a parent, he's a son with Down syndrome. Um, so as a parent and as a sibling, so we had a dynamic perspective. And um, you know, Brooks Publishing was all excited about having a book for families of how to plan for the future. And it was just, it was one of its kind at the time. And then since then, so many things have changed. We decided to update the book and we have our second edition that was just published this year. Um, and we've made it nice and user-friendly and all the materials and lots of case examples in there. Uh, but the goal is that because we can't serve every family, families have a guide to go to. But also we found that professionals, 
um, the attorneys, other financial professionals, service workers, social workers, case managers, they all are picking up our book and learning something from it. So that was the goal is to be able to guide families correctly. It's not about a product, it's about a process and they can't do everything all at once. So be patient and let us help you focus on what the priorities are for your family. It's not surgery that you guys are doing and making a problem disappear. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not that easy. And the interesting thing is when the publisher, when we first wrote the book, they said, well, could you please cite your sources? And John and I said, gee, we really don't have any sources. Uh, it was all from our personal experience, our professional experience, and that's how it came to be. And I do appreciate the perspective that while people couldn't, some people can't afford to read or to retain your services, mm -hmm. having a guide for those people, what do people do who don't have the resources for individual financial planners? What are the, some of the tips you Good. would give them? Yes, good, good question. So we have a financial framework of, you know, how do you build your your plan? So if you have a family of limited means, you want to focus on eligibility for your child for government benefits and making sure that all of your own, no matter what you have, estate planning, financial planning, beneficiary designations, all that goes into the equation to protect your child's eligibility for government benefits. So one great resource, if you're, you know, um, family member or the person that you're planning for has developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities, it's somewhere on the spectrum, um, or, you know, mental illness, you know, challenges with mental illness. There are nonprofit agencies such as NAMI, the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, mm -hmm. the ARC. Every state pretty much has an ARC uh, for folks with developmental and intellectual disabilities. We have the AANE, um, you know, Asperger's Autism um, Network. And there's so many different resources out there. So first go to a, an agency that supports your child's uh, diagnosis. And that would be very helpful. But it's also very important to have your own estate planning documents in place so that you don't leave any direct inheritance um, to that individual with disabilities, because if they have more than $2,000 in their name, they may be knocked off lots of different types of government benefits that are needed. So in and of itself, you have made listening valuable. So for families, regardless of the amount of resources, if you are seeking to get some of the, the services provided by a state or a local agency, it's not in their interest to have money in their name. Is that what I'm hearing? That's correct. That's correct. But there are some tools that you can save and leave inheritances to, um, regardless of you know the level of, of wealth that a family has. And one would be to use a supplemental needs trust, and that has to be drafted from an attorney, uh, one that is well-versed in the area of special needs trusts and uh, disability law. Uh, or, or now we have ABLE accounts, which is a disability savings account. It also has certain requirements that you have to pay attention to. Um, right now, if your child has a known diagnosis prior to age 26, they may be able to open up an ABLE account. In the year 2026, because of advocacy efforts, if an individual has a diagnosis of disability prior to the age of 46, they can now open up an ABLE account. So lots of folks with mental illness where it comes on a little bit later in life or, you know, in injuries that come on later in life, they can still use an ABLE account, but that has limitations. 
That has been my experience that people don't really reckon with a mental illness in many cases until after the age of 26. So that's really helpful change in the age. It was huge. That is huge. So can we dial back a little bit about your personal story? How old were you when you started to take the reins and really educate yourself about what you were going to need to do to be a sister to your brother? Oh, Diane, that's such a great question. Um, you know what? It's something I just, we always grew up with, and Ron was always the special one. Um, we would always, my mom was one of those pioneering parents, always trying to advocate. And at the time, Ron is in his 60s now. And at the time, there was no public education entitlements. And my mom at the time was told when he was in kindergarten that he was uneducable. And that was a term used back in the day. And that's shortly after that, my mom was part of that movement to have public laws and entitlements and passing of federal mandated laws, each by state, Massachusetts, one of, one of the first states that had public law, Chapter 766, for education, free and appropriate education in the least restrictive environment. So Ron was one of the very first graduates of um, a tech school here in Massachusetts. Um, and he moved into a, a career path as a laborer, but he was able to get some training, skills training, which that would never have happened before then. Now, you know, families are excited. They have um, eligibility till age 22 in most states or 21 in some states for all those educational entitlements. But I knew very early on volunteering, um, standing out at the grocery store saying, would you like to donate and give to the retarded? We would use that R word, which, which mm -hmm. we would never use now. So it was just ingrained in us. And I'm the youngest of five and the only girl. So I always knew I was the it person and I was going to be there for, for Ron. But I was always concerned that what would I do if I was an instant parent to him? And that scared me quite, quite a bit. And I didn't know the ins and outs of, you know, I didn't know much about the agencies that supported him, if he received services from the Department of Developmental Services, what was his diagnosis, who was his doctors, um, you know, what were his triggers, you know, for different emotional needs that he had. So I didn't know any of that. And, and that was a big factor, but I knew I needed to to know all that. And that's why we created our letter of intent, which is part of our book too. So speaking of letter of intent, I suggest that every parent write a letter of intent prior to writing their will. So that their will, their estate plan, actually reflects what their intentions are and not necessarily what the estate would be most beneficial on a legal realm, to be able to marry both of those. But I like the idea that you are specifically outlining for families in that book, what would a letter of intent look like? What's the important elements? So the letter of intent, unlike the for the legal side, for trustees to know how to spend money, um, the letter of intent goes beyond, our letter of intent goes beyond uh, that, Great. but it's the who's who in your child's life. And if, if they're working with an agency, the agency will have some, some sort of an intake form. But it's, you know, think about the, if for families with young children, if they go out on uh, a date night, they leave instructions for the babysitter. But what happens if they didn't come home that night? Who would know 
what would happen in the day-to-day life of their child. What are their habits, their hygiene preferences, who's who, all the medical information, and there's quite a bit of it, even some of the medical history, physicians, doctors, caregivers, agencies that families love and those that they just want their family member to stay away from, the change of difference in values. But it also gives you an opportunity to write the vision of who's who and what the role is for brothers and sisters, um, how, what your expectations are for folks as if they're serving as trustee or as guardian for their for the individual, and, and what are your what are your wishes for for them to know about your child, even to the point where sizes and you know colors, preferences, anything that just only a parent often knows, and obviously people can communicate you know, even folks with mental illness, but there's a history there that only a parent knows. And that's where our letter of intent comes in. And it focuses on those, the five factors that we outline in our book. That sounds like amazing data to have in a single place so that somebody, you in that moment was looking to have an understanding of your brother, but didn't have that data readily handily, right? Right. And we find a lot, um, if there's a sibling with mental illness, the, the brothers and sisters, sometimes because of life growing up like that, want to be as far away as possible. But then all of a sudden they find themselves that they were named as the successor guardian um, or the, the personal representative of the individual rep payee or the trustee. And all of a sudden they have to get to figure out all this stuff and they don't know where to turn. And we get calls from all over the country of, you know, my parents died and I don't even know where to begin. So the letter of intent gives you a great starting point. That's great advice. And and in any kind of issue like this, the more conversations you have with the people who are important to the loved one's well-being, the better it's going to be, right? Start the conversations oh. early and often. Right. And often, and Diane, it's interesting because we're financial planners. We talk about the money, but in special needs planning, we talk about five factors of special needs planning. And those five factors are the family and the support factors, like who's who, and getting those conversations together with family members. And if there are no family members, what are those agencies or organizations or trustees? Who are those people, caregivers, care managers, um, who are those people in your child's life? So family and support is a huge factor, as well as the emotional factors and the government benefits, the legal factors and the financial factors. So those you know, emotional factors, we can dump it all in that letter of intent. And that helps, obviously, acceptance, mm-hmm. denial with everybody in that family member's life. But that all goes into play of, you know, what do you do with the money and how much money is needed? and who's going to be in charge of the money. So all those dynamics go into talking about the money. So the message I am receiving is get your head out of the sand, look at the actual issues in front of you, project forward to your child, your brother, your sisters, or maybe even your parents, you know, well-being, and start coming up with strategy and write it down and talk about it. Is that right? That's right. Having a plan in place, you know, short-term, mid-term and long-term is so important. Also, we always talk about special needs planning is planning for two retirements, planning for two generations because parents, you know, we don't have parents that are spending their child, their kids' inheritance. They don't drive around with those bumper stickers because they need to make sure that their inheritance is, their wealth is transferred 
but transferred properly. And when you're doing some of that planning, what's fair is not always equal. And what's equal is not always fair. So we have to think about that as financial planners and financial advisors of how do we help uh, our clients distribute their wealth as well. So that leads me to a question. Let's imagine there are three siblings, one of whom has a special need and is going to need more resources or certainly different resources than the other two. Do you notice that there is a lot of family strife around these decisions or are you seeing families work well together to care for the disabled one? It's all over the place. It's all over the place. I mean, we've, we've, and a lot of times it depends on the sibling relationship, right? Brothers and sisters share the longest relationship on earth. And that relationship is built in a foundation early on. So if the relationship has been through a lot of embarrassing moments, if you will, um, trying moments, um, sibling rivalry beyond the basics of sibling ri rivalry, it's so important to be able to communicate what your expectations are from the adult siblings perspective as well. And I've had um, you know folks where the parents have left everything in trust with especially it's trust for the um, family member that had a disability. And it was just the worst situation because th that individual had no idea. They thought they were expecting their fair share of the inheritance. Um, and there was life insurance in place so that she had more, but her sister was her trustee. So she mm -hmm. had to then deal with all that and the sister had to deal with all that. And it, was, it wasn't communicated. So if everybody was planning together around the table, which we encourage often um, and have that next generation involved, there will be fewer and fewer surprises and things can go a little bit smoother. And a, and a sibling can always say, I need a timeout or you need to give me a backup. So having successor um, trustees, successor guardians, successor rep payees, successor people, caregivers, always have having an out. And families struggle with that. They, they work really hard to find the right people to put in place while they're alive for their son or daughter. But of course, with mental illness, it changes quite a bit. Um, but with someone with maybe Down syndrome, it's pretty straightforward. So it's a little bit easier. So it depends on the diagnosis too. That makes sense to me. So before we leave, I just want to get a sort of statistical picture. How many families will be struggling with one mm -hmm. person disability in coming so years. According to the, yeah, uh, well, according to the CDC, there um, it says 61 million adults in the U.S. are living with a disability. That means one in four, but that's elderly as, as well. And then you look at from a children's, it says that one in 54 children in the United States are diagnosed with um, autism spectrum disorder by the at age eight um, so if you look at that whole population it's closer to maybe 10 percent um, of the population of families that have a family member with a disability uh, that need special planning right and and for every know, one of them there's an average of four other people being impacted by that disability whether there is enough attention to go around for the other children all of those things there's right. always more impact than just yeah. the individual. Yes, and it's also important if the individual is that the individual is part of that plan 
as well as those other four people, whoever else is involved in their life. And that's what we call building a team to carry on because you can't leave it all just to one person. Even though I'm the it person, I know that my other brothers, one's his healthcare proxy and, and one will you know, be there for him for other things. Mm -hmm. um, He's the fun brother. So we, we know that we each have a role. And even if you're an it person, you can't do it all. And parents shouldn't expect that that um, one person uh, can, can do it all. So making sure that there's backups in place. So a lot of people out there that need our guidance um, and they need to work with professionals that understand and know how to ask the right questions. We have clients that come into our office and we know how to ask the right questions. And they don't have to tell us what that diagnosis is all about or what their fears are all about. So when you know, we tell financial advisors, when you're working with family members with a disability, you need to ask the right questions. And sometimes those questions are tough questions. Yes. And I always indicate to people who are going to ask those difficult questions, ask permission first. Can I ask you some questions that might yeah. seem intrusive? Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. A lot of psychology around this, you know, and money, Absolutely. right? Money means different things to different people. And that whole psychology about money is very, very important to understand. I'm often referred to as a financial therapist, although I'm not. <laughs> right. Well, I can see that. I can totally see that. I can. Planning, strategizing, containing families, worry. You're doing it. You are doing good work out there. Thank you. Susan. Well, thank you. We try. So, for our listeners today, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast with Cynthia Haddad. Buy her book. If you have any questions about the needs for planning for somebody with a disability, or maybe even just somebody who seems to be cognitively declining, buy the book. Thank you, Diana. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.